Thanks, band. Uh, good morning and welcome again to Hiawatha Church. My name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here. And like Jess said earlier, we are glad that you are joining us this morning, especially if you're a visitor or newer to our church. Uh, we do want to thank you for coming and let you know that we are glad that you are here. <clears throat> I want to start by uh, talking about one question that is very important, a question that um, you've probably been asked many times throughout your life, and the way that you answer it both uh, tells a lot about you and tells a lot about uh, your identity as well. So the question is, who are you? The question is, who are you? So how would you answer that question? If someone asked, whether it's someone you're meeting for the very first time, whether it's uh, someone you've known for a while, but you're now kind of staring at them in the eyes and they really want to just know who you are at a, at a deep level, would you respond and answer this question by telling them uh, your job? Telling them, I am a, a carpenter, I am an artist, I'm a lawyer. Would you, would you tell them your name, your given name or the, the family that you come from? Would you answer this question with your relationships? Is that who you are? Are you a, a, a wife, a husband, a father, a sister? Or maybe you'd answer this question with your religion or your beliefs. I, I'm a Christian. I am a Baptist. I am Reformed. I am a Lutheran. And today we're going to see our character that we've uh, just been introduced to, John the Baptist. He's going to be asked this question. The religious leaders are sending people to come talk to John and they want to know who this guy is. So they ask him this question, who are you? And John is very careful and deliberate in the way that he responds. And his answer, we'll see, will both set the stage for Jesus, but will also help us personally answer that question. Who are you? So right now we are in uh, a sermon series in the Gospel of John. So John was one of Jesus' disciples. And uh, if, if you look at the very first page in your Bible um, on the Gospel of John, it'll say something, something to the extent of the Gospel according to John. So John was one of Jesus' disciples and he's writing the Gospel, the good news about this guy, Jesus. His, his life, his teachings, his miracles, and especially his death and resurrection and ascension. So that's the series that we're in. We're still in chapter 1. I think this is our fourth week in chapter 1. And today we're going to be looking at uh, verses 19 through 28. We're going to see this, this guy, John the Baptist, get interrogated. And we're going to see one of his main responses to this question, who are you, is he says who he's not. I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. So if you want to follow along, you can uh, open your Bibles to John chapter 1. We'll be in verses 19 through 28. It'll also be on the screen behind me. And if you want, uh, we now have our sermon inserts back in our, our worship folders. So if you want to follow along or take notes on that, that is now uh, available to you again. All right, starting in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. So I'm actually going to stop right there, even before we read our passage, because it's already confusing. We're just a few uh, sentences into John. So there's two Johns already. John, the disciple of Jesus, who wrote this book, sometimes called John the Evangelist. So John the author, John the disciple of Jesus. And now he's introducing a new guy, a new character in the story called John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. He's not a Baptist in the denominational sense, Although we like that, we, we are a Baptist church, but he is a baptizer. He's baptizing people, um, and so it kind of depends on your Bible translation. He'll either be called John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. So today's passage is talking about John the Baptizer. 
Okay, back to our passage. And this is the testimony of John the baptizer. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He then answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So before we jump into our passage, I want to just look at this last verse real quick, kind of as an aside, before we jump in. It might seem like a throwaway verse. These things took place in Bethany across from Jordan, the Jordan River, where John was baptizing. Uh, and I want to highlight that these are real people. These are real events in real locations, real places. So this actually really did happen. Actually, I actually have a picture of what it, it looked like. We have uh, John baptizing in the Jordan River there. But the point here is, is unlike uh, mythology, unlike stories that start with once upon a time, uh, the Gospel of John is truth. It is real. It is historical. Of course, John is, is uh, telling us theological truths through this. But John is describing as an eyewitness Real people, places, and events. So unlike mythology that starts off with once upon a time, or you maybe have heard of like these false gospels or Gnostic gospels, or it seems like every uh, Easter one comes out and Time Magazine will say, hey, we found a new gospel, or the Discovery Channel will, will run a piece on it uh, that are actually written centuries after Jesus. And if you look at those gospels, they just don't... They just don't uh, talk like this. They don't talk about real people, real events, real places that can be backed up by other ancient writings, non-Christian writings, or that can be backed up and, and uh, confirmed by um, archaeology and things like that. So notice that as we go through John, that John's not just telling fairy tales. He's not just giving us fables that give us good lessons, but he's actually retelling history. This actually really did happen. And that's what Christians believe. Jesus is not just a mythical figure that helps us live life, but he is actually a real human being. He is the God-man that was God, became human. And we'll talk actually more about that in just a second. But look for that as we go through John. This is true. All right. Very beginning of our passage, we meet a new character, a guy named John the Baptizer. John the Baptist. Uh, if you've uh, watched The Chosen, which is a, a mini-series that's pretty new, that's uh, about Jesus and his life, it's brilliant. I absolutely love it. But in it, they call John Creepy John because he's just this, he's this strange character. So he lives out in the wilderness. He, he's homeless. He lives deep in the woods. And listen how uh, Matthew, another one of the gospel writers, describes John the Baptizer. John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. 
So we have this guy that's just, you know, disheveled. He lives out in the woods without a home, and his food is, you know, he dips bugs in honey and just like wears a big cloak of, of animal fur. So we meet this guy, John the Baptizer. And he is two things. He's a prophet. So he is, he is declaring truth from God to anyone who will listen. And what's kind of unique about John the Baptist is that he is straddling the Old and the New Testament in a lot of ways. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets, you know, because the gospel hasn't fully come into the world. Jesus hasn't even started his ministry yet, but he hasn't died and, and uh, been raised from the grave yet. So he's kind of the last of the Old Testament prophets, but he's also the first of the New Testament prophets that is declaring that the kingdom of the Messiah is at hand. It's almost here. He's going to be here. Even, even just tomorrow, it's going to start. And so John is this unique prophet type that's kind of straddling the line between the old covenant and the new that's just about to break in. And he's also a baptizer. So this word baptize uh, means, uh, if, if, um, if you think about, uh, if you, in the ancient world, if you had a, a, a white garment and you wanted to make it a different color, you had to not just take some dye and sprinkle it over it, or maybe just dip the corners, but to baptize a, a, a garment or a piece of cloth, you had to fully immerse it underneath the dye. So this, so this garment became something new. It was no longer white. It actually was permeated with this, this, this dye. And so that's what the word baptizo, I believe, is Greek or something. Um, so that's what the word baptize means. So that's what John is doing. He's taking people and fully immersing them in the Jordan River. And we'll talk about that more in just a second. So that sets the stage for who John is. So what happens are uh, the Jewish people, which we find out later, it's not all the Jews, it's the Jewish religious leaders, it's the Pharisees. They send out their priests and some uh, priests and Levites to go talk to this guy and ask him the question, who are you? Who are you? Who is this guy that's out in the wilderness that's telling the Jewish people to do something? Like, who, who is this guy? How does he have authority to tell the Jews, you must go into this water and wash yourself? You must be baptized. Who is this guy that is saying the Messiah is, is almost here? Who is this guy that's telling everyone to be baptized. Who is this influential guy that we read in, in Matthew 3 describing the same event that says all of Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region was going out to see John and getting baptized by him in the river, confessing their sins. So the Jewish religious leaders want to find out who this guy is. This guy is not one of them. They don't know where he went to school. Why does he have so much authority and influence and power over the Jewish People. Who is this celebrity that's trending that everyone knows about and wants to see? And so they ask him, who are you? Who are you, John? And they start with their best guesses. They say, well, John, are you the Christ? And then later they say, are you Elijah? And after that, are you the prophet? So one of the commentators I read kind of broke it down this way and just made this passage much more helpful to understand. So they come and ask him, who are you? John gives three negative answers. I am not, I am not, I am not. Then they ask again, well, if you're not those three things, then who are you? Who are you? And then he responds with three positive I am's. And we're going to see those. So we start with the I am nots. John, who are you? And he responds in verse 20. He confessed and he did not deny, but confessed, 
I am not the Christ. And they asked him, okay, then what then? Are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. Are you then the prophet? And he answers, no. So let's look at these three things that John is not. The first is, he says, I am not the Christ. And so, in case you didn't know, Christ is actually not Jesus' last name. It's uh, actually a, a title. So Christ means Messiah. Uh, these terms are synonymous. One's Hebrew, one is Greek. And the word Christ means the anointed one. The anointed one by God. And in the New Testament and early Judaism, Messiah is kind of this summary term that describes this character that's expected in the Old Testament about a coming anointed one by God who will teach and lead and save God's people, especially through uh, the, the, the line of King David as a, a savior who the Old Testament prophesied about and predicted of. So they still fully didn't know what type of rescuing, saving, divine king he would be, but um, we're going to see that that becomes more and more clear uh, throughout Jesus' ministry. We're going to spend a lot of time unpacking the Messiah, the Christ, next week and the week following and all throughout um, John. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time today, but first, John just makes it very clear, I am not the Messiah. I am not the one that the whole Old Testament is anticipating and pointing ahead to. So then they ask the next question. Okay, well, if you're not the Messiah, then maybe you're the second most important saving character that the Old Testament talked about. Are you Elijah? So Elijah was an Old Testament prophet, if, if you didn't know that. He was one of the main prophets, and actually he is, in some ways, a representation of all the prophets in the Old Testament. So even though he didn't write a book of the Bible like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Malachi, he uh, is described, his, his ministry um, in the Old Testament, and he is, uh, uh, in some ways, a representation of all the Old Testament prophets. So if you actually know the story of Jesus and his transfiguration, you see that Jesus meets up with Moses and Elijah. So Moses being a representation of the law and Elijah being a representation of um, all the prophets. And so that, that is who Elijah is. Another reason that they're wondering, well, if you're not the Messiah, if you're not the Christ, well, maybe you're Elijah, which seems kind of strange. I always thought that was kind of strange. Like Christians don't believe in reincarnation. Like what... Why are they saying this? And a couple reasons. One is if you know Elijah's story, he actually didn't die. So God actually took him up into heaven, which it's also kind of uh, cool. This actually happened at the Jordan River, which John, where John is baptizing right now. So Elijah was taken up to heaven, the, the, the greatest kind of prophet of the Old Testament. And so they're thinking maybe Elijah is coming. And on top of that, maybe you didn't know this, I, I, I didn't realize this, but some of the last few verses of the Old Testament, so the Old Testament ends in the book of Malachi, some of the last verses of Malachi say this, Malachi 4, 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, ends with these words and then hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of silence. God doesn't speak through authoritative scripture after Malachi until we pick up the, you know, the, the book of John or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So on their minds, 
are this verse. Some of the last words God speaks to his people are, I'm going to send Elijah before the day of the Lord, before the Messiah comes in and rescues and saves. And they're thinking, oh, Elijah didn't die. And he was taken up at the Jordan River. Maybe this guy is Elijah. But John responds, I am not Elijah. So then they go on to the next person. Well, if you're not the Christ. If you're not Elijah, maybe you're the third most important messianic saving type figure in the Old Testament. Maybe you are the prophet. And most commentators think what he's saying, what, what they're asking here is not just, well, are you not Elijah, but like a lesser prophet? But they're saying, are you the prophet? Which is a reference to Deuteronomy. So back in the law, the first five books of the Old Testament that Moses wrote, there's this prophecy about someone new, a new prophet that is kind of like Moses, but greater, that is going to come. And, and, and many think this is one of the main uh, messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. So written thousand plus years before Jesus, this is what we read in Deuteronomy 18. Uh, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you should listen. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So there's Old Testament prophecy that God's going to raise up a new type of prophet, the prophet, who's going to be like Moses, but even greater. He's going to be divine, but also come from the same uh, from among you. So he's, he's going to be divine-like, but he's also going to still kind of be human. And he's going to speak with authority. He's going to speak the words that God gives him. We'll come back to this later. So they ask him, John, are you the prophet then? And he responds, no. So then who are you, John? Who are you? Who else has the authority to speak the way you do? Who else has the influence and the anointing like we're seeing? Thousands and thousands of people are pouring out into the countryside and are going under the water in this dirty river, uh, young and old, rich and poor, all different kinds of people. Who are you then, John, if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet? And here is John's response. They ask him one more time, who are you? And he has three responses. He says, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord that the prophet Isaiah prophesied about. I am a baptizer. I baptize people with water. But among you stands one whom you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. So I am the voice. I am a voice. I am a baptizer. And I am not worthy. I am unworthy. Those are John's responses. So let's look at those three. He says, I am a voice. Or the voice crying out in the wilderness. So both John the author that's writing this and John the Baptist himself see him as the fulfillment of this great prophecy by one of the main prophets of the Old Testament, that there would be a person out in the wilderness who would be a voice, a spokesperson, that would tell God's people, prepare the way. The Lord is coming. God is coming to earth. He's coming back. Be ready. 
And you might be asking, well, what, what was this voice saying? What was this prophet saying? John doesn't make it as clear here. So if we look at Matthew, another one of these accounts, we see that uh, this is what John was saying. Repent. Repent. Turn. Turn from your sin. Turn from your worshiping your idols. Turn from worshiping yourself to God. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God's kingdom is almost here. God, the heaven, the dwelling place of God Almighty is coming to earth in some type of way. And it's almost here. So repent because the kingdom of God is near. And because of that, this is what the voice needs to do. He needs to prepare the way and make it straight because the Lord, because God Almighty is coming. And now that I've that phrase was really strange to me. What does it mean, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight? That was just, I, I, I didn't understand what that meant. The past few weeks as I'm studying this, I couldn't find great answers in, in commentaries. Of course, it's poetic language. But uh, I finally found in one of the commentaries, Gregory the Great, a, a church father from the 6th century, helps us understand what this means, that John's message, what he's doing, is he's preparing the way for God to come by making his path straight. This is, this is what it means. Gregory the Great writes in the 6th century, What else is anyone doing who is preaching the true faith and good works, but preparing the way for the Lord to come to his hearers' hearts, so that the power of grace may enter them, and the light of truth pervade them? He makes the Lord's path straight when he predisposes, when he predisposes, predisposes the mind for good thoughts by his good preaching. So what, what John is doing as a voice in the wilderness, the way he is preparing the way for God to come, for the kingdom of God to enter into the world, is uh, he, he's prepping the world to see that the Messiah is coming. He's heralding that the Christ is nearly here. He's declaring to anyone who will listen that God Almighty somehow is now going to dwell here on earth among his people. The Lord, the Christ, the divine rescuer is coming soon. His kingdom is near. It's at hand. And it is through John's voice that people are being called to repent and to prepare for this coming kingdom and Savior. And like John, we too are also called to be a voice. Like John, we too can now answer the question. If you're, if you're a Christian here today, the question, who are you, like John, is that we are a voice. We're called to be a witness. In fact, Jesus calls his church, he calls you, brother and sister in Christ, to be his witness, wherever he places us, whether it's in your neighborhood or family or workplace and now on this side of the cross, we're not just a voice that says, get ready, it's about to come. We don't know what it's going to look like, but get ready. But we are voices, we are witnesses that have the full story. In fact, right after Jesus' death and resurrection, he speaks to his disciples and he gives them one last main uh, encouragement and command. He tells them, Acts 1.8, we read, Jesus speaking to his disciples, but you will receive the Holy Spirit, or you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
What's going to happen? You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my voice. Here in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But listen to this. This is how we're different than John. Here's, here's how it gets better and even greater. John was just preparing the way, but we know the way. Christian. We know that the way is not just some rules to follow or a religion to join, but we know that the way is a person. On this side of Jesus' death and resurrection, we know that the way to salvation, the way to God, the way to eternal life is through Jesus himself, who we're going to see later in John. He says, I am the way. John said, prepare the way, but listen, Jesus is saying, I am the way. Our voices, we cry out to the wilderness of Minneapolis and St. Paul in the metro area. But we don't, we don't just say, repent, for the kingdom of God is, is near. It's at hand. But we say, repent and believe, because the kingdom of God is here. It's not just soon approaching, but the war has been won. Jesus is king he is the one true ruler of, of all the cosmos. And so we call to anyone who will listen, turn from your sin, repent, bend the knee, submit to King Jesus, and enter into his kingdom now and for eternity. We too, like John, are voices. We're witnesses, but we have a much better, fuller story than John, who just was anticipating and looking forward to the Christ. We know who the Christ was and what he did and we can call people to salvation in that kingdom. The second thing uh, John responds with, he says, I'm not just a voice preparing the way for the coming Messiah, but I'm doing something. I am a baptizer. Right? He's fully immersing people in the Jordan River. If you're a Christian or if, even if you're not, you probably have seen baptisms and you're, you're thinking that what John's doing seems a bit different than what the church does. It seems a bit different than Christian baptism, and that is very true. So we might be wondering, what is, what is John's baptism? What, what, what is John, what's his goal? What's, what's he trying to do here, and how is it different? First, let's just look at what John's baptism is. What does it mean? There's kind of two main things. The first thing that John's baptism was about is that it was about repentance. It was a, a, a symbolic act of people repenting of their sin, turning from their sin, and then symbolically washing themselves of their sin or, or becoming purified or made clean. Matthew 3, describing this whole scene, says that people were being baptized by John in the Jordan River, confessing their sin. So they were verbally confessing their sin and then they were symbolically being washed of that sin. They're being purified of all the ways that they were not uh, living up to the law and how they had evil thoughts and motives and actions in their lives. But John's baptism was not just uh, symbolic of people repenting, but it was also preparation. They were looking forward to something better, something new, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. It's almost here. It's breaking in to the world. So repent and be baptized and believe and look. Look forward. Anticipate. Gregory the Great again writes about the distinction here between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism that he's about to bring. He writes, John did not baptize with the Spirit, but with water. 
since he was unable to take away the sins of those being baptized. He washed their bodies with water, but not their hearts with pardon. Why did one who baptized, did, why did one who, whose baptism did not forgive sins baptize? Except that he was observing his vocation as a forerunner. He whose birth foreshadowed greater birth by baptizing, uh, by his baptizing, foreshadowed the one who would truly baptize. So if you know John's birth story, John the Baptist's birth story was a foreshadowing of Jesus' birth. Similarly, Gregory the Great here is saying, John's baptism is a foreshadow of something that would come later, that's even greater. So Jesus' baptism is different. John's is going to pass away in in just one more verse. Just wait uh, until we get to next Next week's passage, Jesus steps out from the shadows and his ministry begins. So here's how they're different, Jesus's and John's baptism. First, uh, John's is, it, the time that it happens is very important. John's baptism happens before the cross, before Jesus's death and resurrection. It looks forward. John says, be baptized and now be prepared and look forward to something greater that is coming. Whereas Jesus' baptism is we look backwards. We're baptized after we're saved, after we convert and look back towards uh, us. And the symbolism of baptism is that we died to our old self, our old nature, our, our sinful self that was at war with God. And we are raised as a new person, raised with Christ. So Jesus' baptism comes with power and the Holy Spirit because it's, it's a, a symbol of not just repenting a little bit and looking for the Messiah, but it's symbolic of salvation, what actually happened. And Jesus' baptism looks back to say, uh, what I'm doing now physically is a symbol of what happened to me earlier in my life and what happened thousands of years ago uh, on the cross and with the empty tomb. And again, here we have John not just answering the question for the Pharisees of who he is, but we have a response for us ourselves. Again, like John, who are we? We are also baptizers. Whether you get a chance to actually baptize someone in your life or whether you are part of a church that is regularly baptizing people who convert and believe in Jesus, he calls his church, he calls his people also to be baptizers and to baptize with Jesus's baptism. If you know, you know, we read Acts 1.8. Here's a, a Matthew's kind of a, a similar passage where Jesus's last words to his disciples, he tells his disciples, he tells his church, this is what you're going to do now. My spirit is going to empower you. This is what is going, this is what the church is going to do for thousands of years now. Jesus came near to them, Matthew 28 says, and he tells his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Make converts, declare the gospel, have people respond to that and believe in the gospel. And then what's going to happen? You're going to baptize them. In the triune name of our God, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so that's who we are 
as a church, we are ones that our voices, we are witnesses, we declare the gospel, and the Holy Spirit then does something there, and he moves in people's hearts, and people receive that, and people believe, and people become Christians, and we baptize them with Jesus' baptism. And the third, final thing that John says, I am a voice, I am a baptizer, and I am not worthy. I am unworthy. So all these people come out to see John, and the religious leaders say, John, who are you? And John responds by saying, you think that I'm impressive? You think that I have authority? You think that I have great influence? You just wait. Just wait. There's someone that's even standing among you right now that is a bazillion times greater than I. John, this trending religious celebrity, is but the lowest. He's just a lowly servant compared to the Christ. They say, John, I'm so impressed by you. You're doing unimaginable things. And John's response is, you want to know who I am? I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy to even touch the Christ's shoes, the bottom of his shoes, the most lowly, the most uh, disgusting thing that a servant would do. The African church father, uh, Augustine, writes about this. Listen to what he says. He says, no one has arisen greater among those born of woman than this man. So Augustine is getting this from Matthew 11, where Jesus even says, there's no human being ever born that's more important, that's greater than John the Baptist. Jesus says this. So that's where Augustine is getting this. Speaking of John the Baptist, no one has arisen greater among those who are born of woman than this man, John the Baptist. And here he is. He's questioned about whether he is himself the Christ. He was so great that people could make this mistake. Religious people who know the Bible super well, they made this mistake thinking, uh, John, are you the Christ? See how exalted he claimed him to be when he declared himself unworthy even to touch his feet, or rather his sandals. So John came to teach the proud humility, to proclaim the way of repentance. And we're going to see this all throughout Jesus' ministry. Jesus shows up to the proud, shows up to those who think that they're worthy, and his message is, you're not worthy. You, you need a savior. You're broken. You're incomplete. You're an enemy of God. You need a savior. If you know Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount, one of his you know, main uh, beginning teachings that kind of summarizes what, you know, part of his message, he says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Not blessed who are rich in spiritual things. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit that know that they are unworthy, that spiritually they're poor, spiritually they're empty-handed, spiritually they have nothing to offer. Or he says later, he says, blessed are those who mourn over their sin and the brokenness of the world that, that bleeds out into the world from our rebellion against God. And that's what John is saying here. He's saying, you think I'm the greatest person ever? I am unworthy, even as maybe the greatest person ever, I am unworthy even to touch the bottom of the Christ's shoe. 
And to be clear, this is not just kind of like a, you know, a Wayne's world, we're unworthy, we're unworthy type of thing. I maybe just dated myself there. Might have to explain this to your kids, what uh, Wayne's world is. But it's not just, it's not just that. It's not just being, uh, you know, in front of like a great musician or a great person and to say, oh, you're so special. I can't believe I get to meet you. But rather, this unworthiness is us saying, I am so small. I'm so insignificant. I'm so not deserving. I'm so guilty that it's scandalous. It's unjust that I would receive grace and mercy from the Messiah. Frederick Dale Bruner in his commentary on this passage says it very succinctly. He says, those knowing themselves unworthy are paradoxically and precisely the divine worthied. How do you become worthy? How do you become worthy of receiving the Messiah's forgiveness and love and mercy? How do you become worthy of entering the Christ's kingdom and have your sins forgiven and receive eternal life? You become worthy by admitting that you're not worthy and receiving the worthiness that is gifted to us through grace, through the Christ, through our Savior, through faith in him. We too, just like John, whether you're a Christian or not, those first two things are just for us as Christians. Christians, we are voices, we are baptizers. But this last one, I am unworthy, this is true of everyone in this room, whether you're a Christian or not. We are unworthy of grace. We are unworthy of mercy. And yet at the very same time, that's the foundation of the gospel. That's the first thing we have to believe is that we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve innocence. We don't deserve forgiveness or to enter into the Christ's kingdom that is at hand. But the great news of our passage and the gospel is that the story doesn't end with you are unworthy. It doesn't end with bad news. You don't deserve forgiveness. You are guilty. You are spiritually poor and empty-handed. But the good news of our passage is that the Christ is coming. That the saving, rescuing, forgiving Savior is coming. And spoiler alert, he actually comes. And he is coming. And we're going to see this again and again and again, including next week. The Christ is coming. In fact, he's actually right there standing among them as John the Baptist is saying this. And we're going to see even more of this starting next week. So no more, no more spoilers there. But in our passage here today, it, it might kind of feel like, okay, this is great. This is setting the stage for Jesus, setting the stage for this Messiah to show up. But Jesus is, you know, he's kind of mentioned or, or they kind of talk about him uh, a little bit. But the truth is, is that this whole passage is actually about Jesus Christ himself. That John is not even the main point of our passage today. Jesus is both the answer to everything that John the Baptist is not. Remember he said, I am not, I am not, I am not. Jesus is not just the answer the solution to all those things that John the Baptist is not, which he is, everything that John is pointing to and preparing for. Yes, Jesus is the solution to that. But he's also the fulfillment and the greatest version of everything that John and you and I are not. 
Or another way to say this, the New Testament kind of summarizing, how do we understand the Old Testament? How do we understand all the promises and the prophecies and the predictions, all the, the good things that point us forward to God's salvation somehow coming in the future through the Christ? How do we understand that? 2 Corinthians 1.20 kind of summarizes all that and says, all the promises of God, everything that we hoped for for thousands of years in the Old Testament, find their yes in him. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. So some very obvious ones, right? John is not the Christ. Who is the Christ? Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. More to come on this, like I said, in the next two weeks. But what John says, remember he says he's preparing, preparing the way for the Lord, for God Almighty, for Yahweh to come into the world. And not through the tabernacle, not through the temple, not through the Holy of Holies, not through a cloud, but he is coming to live among us, as we saw John 1 describing. The Christ is coming, and this is Jesus, the God-man, who is fully God and fully man, who came to rescue, to redeem, and to rule. And the rest of John, what John's going to do is he's going to describe this and declare this and prove this. The rest of John says, John even says later in, in, in uh, the book of John, he says, this is the reason I wrote the gospel of John is so that you would believe, listener, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah, and through believing that, that you might have eternal life through his name. Sorry, I keep stealing all your future content. Just got just to gotta get there. It's so good. Jesus is not just the Christ, but Jesus is also the true and better Elijah. If you know Elijah's story at all, you know that Jesus is the true and better version of everything that Elijah did. He's the ultimate prophet. He's the ultimate miracle worker. He's the ultimate summation of everything the Old Testament prophets pointed ahead towards. He's the ultimate destroyer of the enemies of God's people. And Jesus is the one who will enter in and usher in this great and awesome day that the last few verses of the Old Testament promised. God coming to earth in majesty, in power, that God's people waited for for hundreds of years. How is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? And third, where uh, John the Baptist was not the prophet spoken about in Deuteronomy 18, Jesus is the prophet, the messianic promised one from Deuteronomy. As, you, as we were reading that back in Deuteronomy, you probably thought, yeah, this sounds a lot like Jesus. Someone who is sent by God, who is divine-like in some ways, but also is, is raised up from among the brothers. So he's both kind of human and divine at the same time. Which, when Moses is saying it, I'm sure everyone is confused, right? How is this going to happen? But now on this side of the cross, we know this is speaking about Jesus. And Jesus actually later in John says... Almost the exact same thing. He says, just like the prophet back in Deuteronomy was going to hear the words of God and then share those words of God to the people, Jesus says the same thing in John 12 about himself. He says, I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a command about what to say and what to speak. 
So Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the true and better Elijah. And he is the prophet that the law pointed ahead to and spoke of who would come. And Jesus is not just everything that uh, John the Baptist is not. He is also everything that John the Baptist said he was. He's the true and better version of all these things as well. He is not just a voice, but he is the word of God. He doesn't just speak as a voice for God the Father, although he does. We just see he does that in John 12. He says he's going to do that. But he actually is God's word, the creative, all-powerful word of God. We spent an entire sermon unpacking this because this comes up just a few passages earlier in John 1. So if this interests you, go back and, and listen to week one's sermon. Jesus is also the ultimate baptizer. Remember, John's baptism, was the, there, were, there was an end date to it. It pointed ahead to something even better. John even said this in, in uh, Matthew's account where John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than me. I whose sandals am not worthy to carry. And he will baptize you differently. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And with fire. And with power. John compares his preparatory baptism with what Jesus will later bring. Jesus, or John's baptism is about repentance and looking forward. Jesus is coming and his baptism comes with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who changes our hearts and grants us salvation. That's the baptism that Jesus brings with, Holy Spirit, with the power of the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then finally, Jesus is the only worthy one. He is the man, the God-man who is perfect, who is holy, who followed the law completely who was without sin, the only true human law keeper ever. And he is God Almighty, who became flesh, and who is the one true worthy one. And if you want your mind to just be blown by this a little bit more, go read the book of Re Revelation that talks about, you know, the, the, the elders, I think it's the elders and the prophets or the, be or the angels. They're, they're trying to find who, who is worthy, and there's no one worthy, no one worthy anywhere. And they finally find Jesus uh, that's a whole nother sermon, but if you have time today, go check that out or do that with your community group or your roommates or your friends. Guys, we could, we, could, we could keep on going. We could see Jesus in more and more places throughout our passage, but we're running out of time here. We could go on and see that Jesus is the only one that finally ends the wandering in the wilderness. That Jesus is uh, not just greater than John, but he's even divine. We could look here even more and we could see that Jesus is the great I am. The great I am that we're going to sing about in just a few minutes. That God's uh, covenant name with his people, Yahweh, I am in the Old Testament. And this is actually just like a, a, like a little foreshadowing, just a little whisper that guess what? Something greater is going to happen. Again, <laughs> more stuff that's coming in John. We're going to see Jesus where he says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the way. I am the truth. Where he uses God's divine name from the Old Testament. And here we just have whispers where, where John says, I am not. But there is an I am who is coming. And we could spend more time seeing exactly how Jesus is the way. John comes to prepare the way. But Jesus comes as the way 
himself. So, so much gold here that we could mine. Uh, spend time with your community group or your roommates or family unpacking that more this week. But let us just marvel in and enjoy uh, the gospel and the good news here in the beginning of John. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, this unbelievable passage that just sets in contrast the greatest uh, human born of woman that ever lived and how he is just but a speck compared to the Christ, compared to you. God, we thank you for this great news that you come into this world not to just tell us, repent, be better, follow a rule, get on the right way or else, but that you come in as the way. You come in with the Holy Spirit and with power and with fire and you change hearts and you will allow us to repent, not just by our own strength, but you actually change our hearts. You make us naturally repent without even trying. We are disgusted by our sin. We naturally turn away from our idols because we are new creations, because your spirit lives within us. And so God, there's a million different layers that we could see here in this passage. We pray that we would believe. We would believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, really is the Messiah, the Christ, the rescuing, saving, all-powerful, divine king that the whole Old Testament was waiting for and predicting and promising. And we live on this side of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. So let us believe that fully. Let us be baptized as a symbol of what your saving work has done in our lives and in human history. And Holy Spirit, make us uh, more and greater witnesses and voices here in our city. We pray like John but even with a greater message, now we would proclaim by the power of the Spirit uh, the gospel and that you would use that voice to bring uh, hundreds and thousands of people to saving faith in you uh, through your church, if that would be your will. We, we want that. We want you to be glorified and made famous. And if you would uh, allow us to be a part of that, um, we would love that. And so, God, thank you for this good news. We pray you would help us to believe it for... Uh, again and again this morning. We pray this in your saving and powerful name, Jesus. Amen.